Campbell with the dribble out front. Tiger out front. Tiger Campbell driving left into the paint. Gets it to Bailey. Left wing three for the lead. It's good. Bailey hit it. 12.2 to go. Timeout UCLA. Strother into Salas. He'll bring it up the floor. 10 seconds to play. Elite eight on the line. Strother, quick three, straight away, is good! He hits it with seven seconds to go. Zags up by two. Campbell the other way into the front court. Driving. Pulls up, stripped away by Smith. Strother comes away with it. He's fouled with one second to go. Julian Strother in his hometown from 30. My opening statement is it just took 33 minutes to get me in here, which is ridiculous. Any questions? Live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday, getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, 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 partying. Yeah! All right, Sweet 16 going down right now. Well, in a half an hour. John Von Tobel is here at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook, and Bar. 3.30 and then 4.15, the ones will be playing, not against each other, but we get a look at Houston, and we also get a look at Alabama and the Mountain West, San Diego State. And after last night, we'll see if at least one of the games today, four games, can top the game here in Vegas, and also topped the game at Madison Square Garden. Last night was an awesome display of drama in college basketball on both coasts. And, man, oh, man, the atmosphere last night in the game that we got delivered was awesome. Absolutely fantastic. And the cool thing was it was an even split of fans. So, like, any little thing that happened for their respective team, the energy was on point, the screaming, the cheering, the booing, and – just the ferocity of the scoring, like the back-and-forth nature of that game for a while. It was awesome. When you go down, Timmy with a bucket, like right back down, like just <laughs> over and over again. That was, I can honestly say, with 100% certainty, Steve, as I've not been to a lot of live college basketball events outside of some Mountain West games, that is the best college basketball game I've ever been in attendance for. Really? Yes. Yeah, I got some messages today. One of our buddies, uh, Jorge, who's uh, you know, a longtime sports voice in town, gambler, sent me a message last night or this morning about especially considering what it could mean like Gonzaga going on to win the national championship or making the final four the clutch gene on Julian Strother the local it's pretty amazing and if it's part of a story that has him going to winning a national title the first one for Gonzaga after some success over the last you know say 25 years the significance of that game is gigantic. It's, I don't think it's the best one I've been at, but I might also be desensitized. It was an awesome game, and I will tell you, like sitting there, and we'll go through the, the end of the game in a couple of minutes. We got all of the post-game reaction, which I thought was really cool. As we're sitting there and UCLA comes down after a furious comeback. They were down with like 215 left by 9, 72-63. They come back to take the lead on a three by a freshman when it really didn't look like there was a whole lot happening on the play. He nails it with 12 seconds left. And then you have Julian Strother come down the floor and make a 30-foot three. I, like, it took me a little while to kind of, like, settle down to just calm down from what I just saw because I was complete. Even though it was only one-point game, I don't know why with 12 seconds left, I was completely in the mindset, like, 
oh, my God, Drew Timmy didn't make free throws. Gonzaga squandered a nine-point lead. I feel so bad for this kid, and, you know, UCLA is moving on. So UCLA is going to get to the Elite Eight and maybe get to the Final Four, and then it was like it switched just like that. But that, man, that's the way a lot of sports are, but basketball especially has those crazy changes inside of 15 seconds left in games. Well, and you, in general, like, like in college basketball, you don't see it a ton because there's so fewer possessions and it's not as quick, especially when you get some of these slow-tempo teams. But UCLA was willing to go up and down the floor with them, and they were playing at a really high level on offense. And like, like you said, like the swings of emotion at the end of that game, and I'm sitting, so I got to sit up at the top media, and you, I think you were down there on the floor, and watching it from there where you're just, and that was the cool part I got to say, like sitting up there, because you get every sense of the view, like everything is so easy to see. But even the, you could feel like the atmosphere up there in the swings of the emotion. You're just like, no way, no way. And I felt bad. I'm like, all right, I'm in the media section. I'm not allowed. Right. I wasn't cheering for anybody. But you're just like, come on. It was incredible. I think even the media people can react when you see something like that. And I was sitting next to Adam Hill and the rest of the RJ folks, and they were even like looking around like, what the hell just happened? It was, a, it was crazy. And then on top of it, you know, it's a local who does it in Julian Strother who – yeah, it's funny. In the first half, he, I like, I was like, is he playing? You know, you looked at the box score at the break, and I think he'd only taken one or two shots. He had two points. And I remember at, like, the 18-minute mark left in the game, writing out a tweet for, like, the under-16 score after watching Strother open the half and make a couple of plays or try. I was like, clearly he got talked to at the half and has come out a lot more aggressive. Now, I had no idea that he would be the guy – who would hit a three with six seconds left from 30 feet. Right. But something happened in that Gonzaga locker room because let me tell you, folks, I'm sure a lot of you watched it. If you didn't watch it, like I didn't think it was an impossibility that Gonzaga could come back. They were down 46-33 at the half. But they were so bad defensively. I'm thinking to myself, like I don't know how they got to this point. They're terrible defensively. Tiger Campbell was destroying them off the dribble. Mari Bailey would basically start from 19 feet out and get to wherever he wanted in the lane yep. and hit you know short jumpers or get to the glass. And that's a hobble team with kind of just a bruising center who has no offense. So they're really a, a four-man offensive team, and they smoked Gonzaga at the half. And as you're going to hear in a lot of the, the postgame highlights, the players and Mark Few talked about what they needed to get done at the break, and they were a completely different team in the second half. And I'm not a Gonzaga fan, uh, I do defend them in what they do each year and how successful they are and against this whole narrative that they're soft, that conference kills them, yep. they never do anything in the tournament. Like they've made that's one of the dumbest arguments. Straight sweet sixteens. He's gone to a couple of Final Fours. They didn't win. But we can go down the laundry list of all time great coaches who won a title or two. And in some cases like Dean Smith, it took a long time. To get the first, and some people, you know, if you want to be all sour grapes, you can look back and go, hey, the the title they got, the first one, was basically, in large part, due to Fred Brown freaking having a brain fart and just throwing it, you know, with a, a final chance, just throwing it away. Um, and that's the other thing in these games, is we come up with these narratives about coaches who are good, programs that are good, because I saw a lot, of the, about, a lot of that about the Mountain West. And, you know, why can't they succeed and... You know, San Diego, I, I had one person going at me, San Diego State's the only good program in the league. And I'm like, that's not correct. Boise State and Utah State are good programs. 
They are a good program. I said team. Good programs. And there's a lot more that goes into the success of a program than just winning in the tournament. Like, eventually, Leon Rice is going to win in the tournament. But you watch so many of these games. Like, last night, who's going to look back on that and go, Mick Cronin sucked. Like, it's right. – the drought was terrible. The, the offensive struggles to have UCLA fall down by nine, uh, that was not good. But in the end, they did what they were supposed to do, and it came down to a coin flip play. Like, so many of these games come down to a guy made a 30-footer. Right. Oh, it's, I mean, if we're getting technical, it's not even a – coin flip right it's like a 30 percent, like a 35 percent chance that that thing goes in no I, I mean i would agree with everything you're talking about hey and like look at it from the ucla perspective right when you talk about gonzaga people would say that gonzaga all those dumb arguments that you mentioned right oh they need to play in a better conference they're not ready for the ncaa tournament they've been to all of these elite eights and final fours and runner-ups in the national championship game would you say that mick cronin's tenure at ucla has been a failure because like it's it's been in a short sample size, very good and somewhat similar, right? Deep run that year where they lose to Gonzaga. Was that 2021? 2000, right? and then, 21, yeah. And then this year where you lose to Gonzaga again on essentially a similar play in the Sweet 16. So you wouldn't call that a failure by any stretch. And that's the tough part about this tournament overall. There's a reason why the NBA plays series when you get to the postseason. And generally, the cream rises to the top because over the course of a best of seven, the better team is going to come out on top. But in a tournament where you just got to win six straight games, sometimes you come out and you have slow starts and you can't get by them. Luckily, Gonzaga, because that's the other low-key part about this, Gonzaga's had three slow starts. They have not had good first halves in the first three games of this tournament, and yet here they are in the Elite Eight. That's something that's got to change. You know what's weird about their league and people rip on it? I think in some ways their league sets them up for good second halves because there are more than a handful of games where Gonzaga, because of the quality of the bottom of the league in the WCC, actually gets off to sluggish starts. Because I, you know, you'll track a lot of games in-game, and you're like, whoa, this one's kind of close against whoever. And they were really good in the second half in a lot of spots. Um, it's, I know it's, it sounds like weird rationale, but um, they're a veteran team, just like UCLA. They're, they weren't going to – Gonzaga was not going to collapse and just give up in the second half. And they need to start bringing in – you know, waves of guys, guards who yep. some games get eight minutes, some games get 20. They've got veteran dudes who can all fill different roles. They've still got young guys who are maturing. It's a good program. And last night they did a really good job in the comeback. And then local Julian Strother got the job done. Here he is after the game talking about uh, the win and the way it came about and, you know, breaking the hearts of those UCLA fans. Dominic Lavoie, UNLV Rebel Report. Julian, hometown product, just take me through your emotions right now, hitting that huge shot and eventually the game winner in your hometown. I mean, there's moments like that that you can't make up. I mean, those, those are literally the moments you dream of, you know, just to even make a shot like that in March Madness. And then, I mean, just to uh, be back home in Vegas is like the cherry on top. Words can't describe how proud I am of just our team and our resilience. I mean, nothing was going our way. I mean, we weren't playing our, uh, our brand of basketball at all through that whole first half. And I mean, we flipped that switch, and you know, there's not there's not a lot of teams in the country who could who could you know bind together and make a run like that. And a lot of what they did was effort. I mean, there's a lot of execution and making sure you get better offensively, but their effort on defense was great. Mm-hmm. UCLA down to like the, the three minute mark, maybe like two two forty mark, was five of twenty two in the second half. The twenty two number sounds low because they never got second chances because Gonzaga simply destroyed them. If you destroy a, a McCronin team. We're just not a big team on the UCLA side. You destroy them on the boards, you're doing something from an effort standpoint. And they were like plus 25 on the boards. I think for the game, 16 offensive rebounds for Gonzaga, uh, like 45 points 
in the paint, which is completely crazy. And the, the turnovers were another big one, too. Yep. The first half, there were a lot of lazy turnovers. And they still had like one or two in the second half. I think there was an over and back that they got called for because the pass was just a little too late when the guy was crossing over. But the, the, the turnovers and the points off turnovers that they gave UCLA in the first half really killed them as well. That was not a fluke shot. It was a hard shot, it was. but there was a setup, and there's a history with that shot, and they work on that shot. Here's Julian Strother, who made that shot. You know, the play was a you know, little dribble handoff action, see if we could, you know, get a defense on their heels a bit. And uh, initially, when Coach drew it, he kind of drew, uh, you know, just search it a little bit, maybe go downhill. And I kind of just asked him, like, can I shoot it? Like, if, if no one steps up on me, like, do you want me to shoot it? And he was like, absolutely. So then I shot it. <laughs> That's a great one. Everyone sitting in the press room is like, okay, simple as that. 12 seconds left. You're 30 feet away. You're down one. I mean, it's, you, you could go to the hole. You could create contact. You can – Strother's really good on, a you know, like a 12 or 13-foot floater. But he elected to take the bomb three. He makes it. Uh, here's Mark Few talking about that shot and the play. He's made that shot multiple times for us this year. If you look back to the BYU game, I mean, he had a very deep three, a dagger three like that in that game, very similar. We practice that play. That's Jay Wright's play used at the end of the Villanova Carolina game, the championship. That's what we call it. Makes it all the time. So, yeah, when he asked me, it was stronger words than what he used. I just said, yeah, yeah, make it, make it. You know, but if he was closely guarded, I wanted him going downhill and see if he get to his floater, which he's been great at all year. Oops, I repeated exactly what Mark Fiewa told us. But big-time shot, 30-footer, and even Cronin mentioned later in the night, because I think few there what mentioned the BYU game. Mm-hmm. Cronin mentioned the Xavier game, which was early this year. And I went and looked back, and it wasn't like a minute left, but the game was tied at 75, and he hit a couple of like 27-footers. And the second one, someone went under a screen, and he just fired it up six feet behind the line, seven feet behind the line, nailed it. So he's got confidence to shoot that deep, and he got the shot. By the way, if you go back and watch, I would like stress anybody, just, just type in Strother BYU into Twitter. It's an identical shot. It's like the exact same play from the exact same spot, and he nails it. So they had confidence. I would say if you gave them truth serum, is that the shot you absolutely want in that situation? Probably not. Even when he pulled up, I was like, oh, no. Are you really shooting this right now? But it went in, so winner moves on. Did you see a side-by-side comparison with the Villanova shot against North Carolina? No, I didn't. It is. Chris Jenkins was closer, and he was a little more, you know, right, not right wing, but, like, you know, right extended. Yeah. Uh, Probably 30 feet closer, but same kind of thing. Yep. It is a cool play. Oh, Basically, you know, the guys, whoever's handling the ball drives hard. You, know, you get to the free throw line, a three-point line, and you got two defenders who are like, okay, I'm getting driven backwards, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And then a quick you know, pitch back. You're going to be open most of the time yep. unless one of the guys picks it up and escapes. And guys are getting better at those shots more and more as they evolve, as basketball evolves. They're working on that shot more and more. So it's a little bit higher probability than you would think, but, man, it went in. That's all that matters, I guess. And I'll go back to the atmosphere. And uh, you and I went and uh, broke some bread afterwards and, we were talk, uh, talking mostly shop, but, you know, it's funny. Even, like, I got home pretty late, and I was still looking around Twitter, and I'm like, that's why you're hosting games like that in Vegas, first of all, is really cool. Um, it's also why what we do, and for you guys who are sports fans who get into games, those are the moments you relish, and then you get a hometown 
hometown kid in Strother doing it. That's why I love the tournament. Mm-hmm. And there can be we can get into this whole philosophy of what could potentially be in the final four is nuts. Like the power five people are going to be like, Woo! you know, and there's going to be a lot of fans if this breaks the wrong way for the big boys. You're going to have a lot of low seeds, but to me, that's the cool part of the tournament. It's a meritocracy. You get in, you play, and there's some randomness to it. And sometimes the big boys who have most of the advantages and the bigger budgets to go grab players, Gonzaga's not uh, one of the small guys. They're one of the big boys. Um, Sometimes they don't make it, and some years maybe three or four don't make it, and you have a lot of low seeds. And In this case, you had two behemoths of college basketball. I saw Matt Jacob, who's a longtime scribe in town, he was actually angry that that game was a Sweet 16 game. Said the West Coast is, you know, severely underseeded, and we should have gotten that as an Elite Eight, or maybe even in the Final Four if they were in different brackets. But I was trying to figure out the argument. I, I made the argument before the tournament that I don't think Kansas should have been a one. Now I'm guessing Kansas fibbed about Bill Self, right? But if we're going to penalize teams for players not being available. When you seed, then a coaching situation, and it would believe me, it would be a very touchy subject. Right. But I, even with what Kansas did all season, I UCLA could have been a one, and Gonzaga could have been a two. But they probably, you know, they wouldn't have met in this bracket. So I get the argument a little bit. I mean, in the end, they were. What are we talking about? The, the top ten, eleven, or twelve? Not like one of them got dropped to a six. Right. And I think like at some point. Because there's so many quality programs, like at some point, two good programs are going to run into each other a little bit early. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't, outra- I wouldn't rage about it too much. I mean, maybe if you switch the seating up, they're meeting tomorrow, right, as opposed to yesterday. Does one, does one day really make a difference? We got a really good basketball game out of it. And by the way, selfishly too, as you're wearing the Las Vegas hat, <laughs> freaking awesome for this place out here. You get the first two rounds of the tournament. We know how much of an event that is. Then to have a regional here the following weekend. To bring even more people out here, like the energy's been on point everywhere I go in terms of like the strip or off the strip when it comes to like a sports bar, a place like that. It's been absolutely fantastic these last two weeks. I've gotten too caught up into it. A lot of late nights. And I'm an old man. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> You're an old man in spirit. Candy actually called you out the other day. Oh, really? What did he do? I, he just made some comment about, you know, everyone on the show is an old man, even the young man who's on the show. I was like, wait a second. Oh, John, okay. I mean, the last time I saw Adam Candy, one of us went home. First, I don't even know what that means. Was that a holiday party? What was that? Uh, I, 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 it was like two months ago. I saw him at a steakhouse. Out on the oh, script. you guys, that's right. Yeah, you had the big dinner. Yeah, and uh, all I know is that I was out there till like one in the morning, and Adam Candy disappeared. <laughs> and I, I may have pulled one of those where I just wandered off to go gamble by myself for like an hour and a half, and then I showed back up, and they were like, we thought you left. And I was like, no, I was just wandering around. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm into it. On the way back, we got to get to another great angle in this game. So Julian Strother. Hometown hero, Liberty High School, at Gonzaga, hits a legendary shot. He'll certainly be a star, uh, even if Gonzaga loses in the next round. He'll be a star of one shining moment. But there was a guy up on the dais last night for Gonzaga who was smiling ear to ear, and he should have been real happy because Drew Timmy, this whole thing could have gone real badly for him last night in spite of the fact that he had an awesome game. NFL season is over, but no worries. You can listen to all Vegas Vipers home games on Raider Nation Radio 920 and streaming live at lvsportsnetwork.com. Strother into Salas. He'll bring it up the floor. 
Ten seconds to play. Elite eight on the line. Strother, quick three, straight away, is good! He hits it with seven seconds to go. Zags up by two. Campbell the other way into the front court. Driving. Pulls up, stripped away by Smith. Strother comes away with it. He's fouled with one second to go. Julian Strother in his hometown from 30. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Yep, hometown hero, Liberty High School, Julian Strother, Gonzaga. Did you watch all those highlights? Because I don't know if you saw it when you were watching the game live. I did not. Um, did you see once there was that dead ball that he kind of walked around the court and was looking at the crowd a little bit? You got to go watch the highlight. Yeah. It was like, I don't know if it was one of those kind of like mean mugging the crowd or, man, I'm going to take this in. But he looked real serious. I was like, that's pretty cool to have the moment and then try to soak it in or add to it. It's, yeah, so I did notice that he had walked off, and they were all kind of after the dead ball. They were kind of going at him. I didn't see, obviously, up there. I didn't see the look on his face, so I'm sure it was. I just want one of those cool moments. I want a mean mug for some reason. Why not? Well, if I have a good, I have a good take on radio, maybe I can, like, walk around TI right now. Right? Just, like, take hit, it in. Hit your chest? Yeah. If anyone on that team, Mark Few should, but if anyone on that team should thank Julian Strother, it's the guy who went for what he finished with, 36 and 13. Yeah. Right? Drew Timmy, who for some reason has this negative reputation with a lot of fans around the country. I don't get it. I think Drew Timmy, if he were playing 25 years ago, 30 years ago, would be a revered hero. Maybe it's a regional thing, but I think the guy is called soft all the time. And a lot of it is based on the fact when they met up against Baylor, Baylor had a lot of big, strong guys, and they threw them around. They limited them. It happens sometimes. You're not going to be great as a big every game, right? But I'm telling you, if he played in the Midwest or in in the South or in the Northeast, he'd be a beloved figure. And it's funny, when they talk the about 10, yeah. when when they talk about when fans around the country talk about Gonzaga, but especially Drew Timmy being soft. I don't think they ever look at the roster and see where all the players are from. Like, they're not all Kelly Olynyk, who is from Canada. Right? And I'm not saying Kelly Olynyk's soft. He's actually turned into a really productive NBA player. They're not Adam Morrison, who I guess was soft because he cried after a devastating loss, which is one of the dumbest narratives I've ever had to listen to on Sports Talk Radio. Um, and here's the other thing with Timmy. Now there's this weird group that complains that, well, I mean, no, the guy's 23 years old, playing against kids. Wait, I, do you want players to stay or not? Like, he's a guy you should hold up and, you know, and revere because he's, he's a senior. He stayed around. He's playing a lot of college basketball. This complaint, like, oh, we don't know who the players are. You do him. It's just, I don't know. There's always this weird narrative around him to, to chop him down. I mean, last night, uh, Jason McIntyre is watching the game from Cowherd Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas, and he compares him to Kevin McHale, like, Relax. Like he's, he, I mean, he, he does have good footwork, and he is a good elite big man scorer, facing the basket and in the post, and he was destroying UCLA. But then we put unfair expectations on a kid. So anyway, long story short, he misses two free throws with 25 seconds left, up 75-73. He almost airballed the first, and right. then he overcompensated on the second and back-rimmed it. And then that's when UCLA comes the other way, and Bailey hits the three from the left wing, and you're thinking, oh, my God. This kid had an unreal game, basically unstoppable. He's the star of the night, and he's going to get ripped 
to friggin' shreds for missing free throws. Yep. Oh no, he was. And that's and that's. I'm almost kind of glad for him to a certain extent, because for that kind of a game to be buried yeah. because of two missed free throws in the most key situation, it would have been a travesty. Like he was the only consistent thing they had going in that first half. It was Drew Timmy and nobody else, and he was unstoppable for a while. So up there for a while, I was like, you know what, to kind of help keep track of this game, I'm going to do, because they give us the green sheets to keep track of the score. So I was like, I want to keep track of the score with my pen. Drew Timmy, Drew Timmy, Drew Timmy, Drew Timmy. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, he was he was great in that first half and throughout the entire game. And you felt bad to a certain extent because you got to make your free throws. And we should say it wasn't just him who had trouble with the free throws down the stretch. Gonzaga as a team only shot, what, 52% from the free throw line? So they really shot themselves in the foot multiple times when it came to some of those free throws, especially down there. But if you miss the two, and then right back on the other end, you give up the three that could have been the game winner, he was going to get buried. Here's Timmy after the game, uh, first reflecting on what that moment felt like when they get the three and they win, uh, but also giving thanks to a very important person. One shining moment. I think that's the best way to describe it. I mean, uh, Julian, man, he just just took on all of, all of GU and just buttered that thing. I mean, I can't even really describe what he just did. It's crazy. It's, it's just like that Jalen shot, man. But uh, it's crazy. I can't even really describe it. I'm, I'm not speechless too much, and I'm pretty speechless after that. I mean, but I am the number one Julian Strother fan forever now. <laughs> Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at BJVT. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Now back to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. All right, back to more of the Sweet 16 right here in Las Vegas. Now we got a great setup for Saturday evening as we'll talk a little UConn. They look dominant against Arkansas. UConn and Gonzaga for the berth in the Final Four over at T-Mobile near uh, 6 o'clock on Saturday. When John's in, I always like to hit some NBA. We certainly uh, don't ramp up enough on the NBA uh, during the rest of the week, and it's really starting to heat up now in the Western Conference because everything is really bunched, and so many big names either are out, they're coming back. Teams are trying to make a drive here down the stretch, and people love talking to the Lakers, John. Love -hmm. talking about the Lakers. And then what you get from that are some just completely absurd takes. What did we get from Jay Williams of the ESPN National Morning Show. So Austin Reeves is playing really well uh, for the Los Angeles Lakers. And again, a testament to the Lakers scouting department. We say it all the time on the show. They're a good job of getting guys and that program, that program, that franchise done a great job of developing them. Austin Reeves is playing very good basketball. Austin Reeves is not LeBron James, though. However, Jay Will is brave enough to ask the question, Steve, how in the world can you bring back LeBron with Reeves playing like this? Everybody keeps saying, I wanted to set it first, right? Until I started digging down into it. Well, if you, you bring back LeBron, this team can get to the, potentially to the Western Conference Finals. How do you bring back LeBron? Like, the more I sit there and think about it, the more I think about if you bring, when you bring back LeBron in this short period, how in the hell is Austin Reeves supposed to continue to play at this level? The ball's in Austin Reeves' hands a ton. You guys know the kind of lather, the kind of rhythm that you get when the ball's in your hand? You increase the amount of possessions, the volume of possessions. I feel way more comfortable with The Rock now. <sighs> when LeBron comes back, and Austin Reeves has been balling. D'Lo has been balling, right? But now you bring LeBron James back, are you going to play LeBron James off the ball? 
I'm not doing this. <laughs> I can't do this. I think he's got a good point. I think they should tell LeBron. Oh, stop. I think they should tell LeBron to sit. We've got Austin Reeves and D'Lo now. We're good. We don't need you. That's amazing. That's I, I put it when and he kept going and no one stopped him. Right. That's why I put it into your like that's brilliant. Like I, I want I mean, is that a troll? I don't know if it's a troll. I don't know if it's just like we've got to come up with some sort of topic that nobody is talking about. But it's brilliant. I want to do more radio like that. I need to come up with ridiculous statements. Like, should we move LeBron James off ball because Austin Reeves is this <laughs> It's balling right now. Uh, right now, game number one of this day has tipped San Diego State up six three early against Alabama. Yeah, that's that is absurd. We gotta we gotta watch the follow up over the weekend and the next couple of days to see if that was real. I, I, because you you were just mentioning to me uh, another national personality on radio who uh, made a strong statement before the NCAA tournament and then was completely wrong. And then said he was kidding. Right. I think Jay Will comes back next week, and he's like, oh, I was kidding. Uh, by the way, Darren Trammell just limped off the floor. He was, he was kind of dinged up in the last game, but he's one of the guards. I won't call him the point guard because uh, he and Butler rotate back and forth, but he just left the floor, uh, the floor a bit hobbled. More NBA coming up after 4 o'clock. Up next, though, let's talk to Caleb Herring. We'll talk some football, talk a little college football, a little UNLV football, and also these moments in special spots. You know, a guy, a hometown guy in Julian Strother hits a massive three. And uh, also, you know what I want to hear from Caleb is his reaction to your leader, the coach, after a loss, be a complete sore loser and rude to people and a big baby like Mick Cronin was last night. Is that what players want? I, I wonder, is that really repping the university? Or are they like, he really cares? Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcast to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. Jay Thomas, UNLV TV. Uh, Coach, I just want to know, um, what was the game the game plan for Drew Timmy? Obviously, he's a great player, but they have uh, great players all around the perimeter as well. So what was the game plan for that? Do our best. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Oh, Mick. Come on, Mick Cronin. Very grumpy when he came into the post-game press conference last night. A couple of the UNLV students were there asking questions, as I'm sure they're instructed to, and they've actually both done a really good job. And Jay Thomas, a former female basketball player at the school who kind of medically retired this year has been front and center asking questions and uh she asked a, a fair question there and mick crona was not ready to speak yet because he was still mad about having to wait and he gives the do your best answer which you know i could go off on um i won't but i would tell young broadcasters don't let guys like mick cronin bully you into not asking more questions and jade did ask a question about five minutes later and uh I just said I'm not going to go off on it. Shame on Mick Cronin. Dial it down, bro. Did he, did he short her again? Uh, he shorted a lot of other people. We'll, yeah. we'll have the bites later on. No. He, I just thought in that case, like, yeah. do your best. And Jade actually should have grabbed the mic and said, what does that mean? Yeah. So I have. And if he gave another answer, why? 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 Just give, like, a machine gun of whys. Just like just, my child just, does. Just give an answer. You Rude. can. Here's the thing with Mick Cronin. You know, let's bring in. 
because I want the former player's perspective. And then we, you know, Caleb Herring is also a media guy now. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How, how are you guys doing? I, uh, not as great as Mick Cronin's suit game, but well, I get right. I get I get annoyed when guys <laughs> like Mick Cronin do that. I just think it's rude. It's immature. Yeah. It sets a bad example for your kids. And by the way. The UCLA guys, because they've watched Mick Cronin act like that, all gave really short answers. And I'm not going to kill them because that was a devastating loss. It's hard to talk to us after losses like that, especially when they end your career. What do you think when you heard that answer? And I'll say good for Jade, you know, that she's been out there and she wants to be a uh, journalist. That's what she studied at UNLV, and she's been right in their center of things. I'm going to say I agree with you. I, I think it's really obnoxious, rude, and, and unnecessary for people. You know, the media availability thing is a big part of being front and center, being a coach, being a star player, whatever. Whoever gets that call to be interviewed after games, post game, it's uh, it's a, an aspect of the game that 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 fans appreciate when they get additional information. I mean, so being a Mr. Grumpy Pants and whatever you want to call it up there. Uh, trying to intimidate reporters sometimes. Whatever the case may be, short answers like that is just it's unnecessary. It's really immature, and I, I feel like if you can't handle your emotions enough to be, be articulate at the podium at the end of the game, then maybe you're overpaid. I think that's a part of the gig. You need to be able to speak to losses. You need to be able to, uh, for multiple reasons, You know, for, like you said, the public perception, you're trying to recruit kids and be an example to kids. You can't be all mopey and, and, and grumpy just because you lost. Granted, it's a tough loss. It sucks. And that was March Madness at its finest. It was probably the game of the tournament. Um, uh, Gonzaga and UCLA, kind of a rivalry that's built there and going down to the wire. Two really game-winning shots. So we get the emotional side, but it's your job, uh, in, in essence, the, the, the all eyes on the screen, to be able to articulate something better than do your best. You know, I, And you, know, you look at other coaches who have handled it better like uh, Izzo, he, he, he praised Noel, you know, like just went in on how they just weren't ready for Noel. And that, I'm sure it was tough for him to give that answer, but he gave it. And he gave us some insight and gave us something good to talk about and made himself look good and represent the university well. Just sitting there with your, your sweaty suit saying things like do your best is, is just kind of immature and, and silly to me. So first off, uh, they they got like a fifteen minute cooling off period, but it felt like like it was like he probably cooled down, but then started to ramp up the more the extra fifteen minutes started going by because he did not like sitting around. And also, can I say shout out to the young UNLV student students who are asking these questions? They ask better questions than I do. So like I am I am wildly impressed with the, what they've been able to do. Uh, so Kale, I was you know I was telling Steve when we were watching that game yesterday, and we we opened up talking about this. When it comes to having these games out here in Las Vegas, as a Vegas guy yourself, like what does this mean? Because like this is this is great, man. Like this is awesome seeing the energy out here. No, I love it. I, I really love that it's you know the regions have gotten uh, a little bit different. So Vegas getting the bid this year was awesome. I think Vegas is going to get a lot of stuff sports wise. Obviously, we've seen that uh, down the pipe being scheduled, but. No, it's great. I think the college basketball atmosphere is a, is a totally different animal. Um, college football has made its way with some championship games and, and bowl games. Uh, the energy's not quite the same. March Madness is, is one of the biggest sports events out there. So having that in your own backyard and being able to, if you so desire to go to it, um, is awesome for you know living in Vegas. I think Vegas is set up well for it now, especially with, with the kind of upgrades we made to the city to make it a sports town. Uh, but the energy, the buzz that, that, that's in the city is great. And I think that along with the betting market and all that kind of stuff that, that adds to it 
Um, the ticket price thing is probably a hurdle. I mean, yeah. that that's tough for some locals to look at, especially with the with the resale market that just makes things ridiculous. And then you look at the game on television and you see empty seats a, a little bit in the lower bowl and you're like, you can't help but think that the resale market has something to do with why those seats aren't filled. But for what it's worth, the energy, and, and at least in the Gonzaga UCLA game, which is what I was glued to all night, was 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 there. And both both sides were well represented. And um, those are the kind of arenas that you want to be a part of, that you want televised for March Madness, especially when the games go down to the wire like that. How cool was it to see Julian Strother, a local Liberty guy, take the big shot, hit the big shot? It was awesome. I mean, like... <laughs> It's two guys. I mean, you look at Noel, too, uh, with K-State, like, over there in New York, and he's a hometown guy performing like that um, in front of, you know, his hometown. And then the same thing happens with in Vegas. It's, it's a big deal. I think it puts Vegas on the map in a lot of different ways. One, Vegas as the, the venue for uh, March Madness. Uh, and then also a, a Vegas player, where Vegas gets a plug off of a game-winning shot. That shot's going to – it's a historic shot. I mean, already it's iconic just the way he walked into that from the top of the key and nailed it from the logo. I mean, that was ridiculous in and of itself. Um, I think the magnitude of that shot just changes because it wasn't the last game. I think if you go back to the Nova shot uh, over North Carolina, that that changed because of what game it was, like where it happened in the bracket, as opposed to, you know, Sweet 16. Um, That was the only difference, I think, in the magnitude of those shots. But that coming off the tail end of what should have been the game winner, um, and for a local kid to do it in front of, you know, a lot of fans probably aren't, weren't from Vegas. I'm sure Gonzaga and UCLA fans traveled and wouldn't have known that backstory. But to hear it live on TV, you know, because I'm, I'm watching from home and hear the Vegas native Liberty and, you know, the after the Fox 5 News report. And that was probably half of their story afterwards that he's the local guy that was the hero of the, of the game in his own backyard. It's awesome. You know, it's really cool for his personal story. But again, for Vegas as a town, you know, getting some respect as a basketball town, um, again, where, you know, we were known back in the 90s for running Rebel basketball. But now to see that prodigies everywhere are spreading their wings and going and doing big things in other places, that's a big feeling. And to hit that shot, I mean, the way he walked into that, I mean, it was like he and everybody on his team knew that that was going in. I, who draws that play up? You know, a logo three for the win. That's some confidence in your players right there. And, and he came through, and he, probably the biggest moment of his career, definitely so far. Caleb, what's the equivalent of like the no, 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 yes type play in football? Is it like chucking it up into double coverage and having your guy come down with it? Because I felt like that was that at the end of that game. That was like, oh, you're really taking that? Okay, you hit it. <laughs> it was it, to me. Well, it, first of all, I think it was actually drawn up that way. I think they they fully wanted to take that shot. That's first. But second, I, the the equivalent in football is. I wouldn't even say the jump ball. I would, I would probably just turn on Johnny Manziel film from Texas A&M <laughs> and say 90% of the things he did was, no, 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 no. Okay, good job. Um, and it, it's really the, the, the worst thing that you could do, especially from my position as a quarterback, is when you scramble and you start going backwards, that's the, the no, no, no. And, and, and if you don't make your way out of it, it's like, yeah, you're, you're probably going to be benched. But then all of a sudden you throw a touchdown pass on, at the end of it, and it's like, great play. Um, I, I put Patrick Mahomes in that category, too. Like, the, the laying down throw or the no-look throw is like one of those, what are you doing? And then it's a touchdown. You're like, all right, great play. Um, but you also see it as an interception, and the coach is on the sideline like, what the heck are you doing, man? But, no, I, I for that Gonzaga play, I fully think that that was, one, it was a mistake by UCLA not going full court press. Um, in those situations, especially in college because you can't advance the ball, 
I think in those situations, I would always have somebody in the front court pressuring so that you dictate the action to start, you know, with 10, 12 seconds left. Then second, I think from the onset, that was a setup drop-off pass, that he was just going to take a deep three and live with the results. And I think the coach was on board with it. But that, I, I, I fully think that that was designed – the way he stepped into it with that much confidence, there's no way anything else was planned on that play. So, I, I mean, that probably was a just if he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, we'll live with it type of play. Caleb Herring, the former Rebel, one of the voices of Rebel football, co-host of the Barry Odom radio show, is here with us. I'll give you a couple points uh, that I've seen so far through seven spring practices. Another one's coming up tomorrow, by the way. And by the look of it on social media, there are going to be dozens and dozens and dozens of future uh, potential recruits visiting this weekend. One thing I've noticed, and it's because the questions just are not there, it's a different kind of camp than anyone I've seen in recent times. There's really no questions about the quarterbacks. And I wonder what that does. You know, there's a battle, obviously, for the two and three spots behind Doug Brumfield, but there are no questions about it. I mean, I mean they, the coaching staff will say, hey, you know, Doug's got to earn the job, but he's got the job. I, I, I've said for years that there's so many benefits to that for a team, for team building. Um, and we've seen over the past four years at least, and you can go back farther than that, where there's questions around the quarterback spot. Um, whether it's a quarterback competition, whether it's new guys coming in, uh, I, it, it's always been a question. I think that's been one of the biggest problems at UNLV, even before I became a Rebel. You know, it, it, not having a starting quarterback finish, this goes back you know, decades, not having the same starting quarterback start and end a season. Um, and then just the offseason preparation in this case, where it's you don't know who the guy is and you can't develop and establish a rhythm with the guy and get his confidence up. And I think that's one of the most underrated attributes of a quarterback. You talk about the game being mental for quarterbacks. Having confidence in what you're doing is probably the biggest part of that mental, uh, that mental preparation is knowing and understanding the offense like the back of your hand. And you can only do that through repetitions. And if you're splitting reps for your entire, that's, you're getting half the reps all offseason, maybe even a third of the reps if you've got a three-headed race, then you're not getting the best out of your quarterback. Regardless of who comes the starter at the end, he's not going to be the best version of himself. So that's... That's kind of what you do when you have a constant state of competition at the quarterback. I think it's the only position on the field uh, and center where you are in every snap. Your, your play is, is a part of every snap from scrimmage uh, offensively. So I think it's important for those two positions to have as much uh, rhythm as possible starting the season. So the fact that it's not a question, um, and, and that's kind of been the tone since since – since Coach Odom came into the scene. He, he spoke of Doug Brumfield in his opening presser. He, 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 the importance of him being in attendance and, and re-recruiting him and having a solid quarterback as a foundation was a part of his opening message, and it's been true through spring ball. So um, it is new. It is kind of different to not have that be the main headline, maybe a little bit harder to, to find the stories around the team because the quarterback controversy or battle isn't the front and center uh, headline. But it's, I think it's good for the team. I think the team needs this especially in a transition where you're going to a new offensive system so much around the program is going to be new and different next year already to have a stable voice a stable leader at quarterback i think is an important thing about this offseason caleb good spot get back to watching the sweet 16 by the way uh the rest of the country uh meeting what the mountain west all tries to emulate san diego state right now it's 13 11 uh 11 minutes into the game absolute rock fight like the aztecs want caleb thank you we'll talk to you all right, guys, have a good one. There he is, Caleb Herring. Love it. This is...
freaking <laughs> complete brawl right now. It's 13-11, just under nine minutes left in the first half, and the whole thing is bogged down into an SDSU style of game. We're live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Come on down here, 55-plus TVs, showing the Sweet 16.